You're listening to the Packernet Podcast Network. This episode is brought to you by Pepsi Wild Cherry. Pepsi Wild Cherry is bursting with delicious cherry flavor and a sweet, crisp taste that gives you more to go wild for. Getting wild may look different these days, but whether it's opting for a solo Friday binge watch or a big night out, everyone can indulge in their wild side with Pepsi Wild Cherry, also available in Zero Sugar. So grab a Pepsi Wild Cherry and get wild. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome once again to the Packernet Podcast. I am your host and resident panelist, as always, Ryan Schlipp. Check us out online, packernet.com. Find me on Twitter, pack underscore daddy. So that was uh, another great game. I I completely um, brain farted on that one. I I did a live stream afterward, and right as I was ending it, thinking I was going to bed, I was like, all right, guys, check out the podcast tomorrow. And I was like, wait a minute, when am I going to record... And it dawned on me I have to record it tonight. So I should be going to bed, and I'm just starting the podcast. So um, we'll probably keep it short and sweet. There, There isn't a massive amount to go through, but we're going to do kind of what we always do, um, go through the stats, go through the roster and whatnot. But I will say the – the um, I feel like I'm saying everything all over again because I just did an hour-long stream or whatever it was. That felt a lot more like the um, – 49ers game. I wanted to say Steelers. That was the Steelers. That felt more like the 49ers game than I was expecting. And I mean that in a good way because this is essentially two weeks in a row where they had a very gritty win. Um, We needed offense, defense, and special teams. We needed to be able to pass. We needed to be able to run. We needed the offensive line. We needed everything at every time to be able to step up. It wasn't a perfect game, but that's kind of the point. It's not perfect. There's adversity. There's guys who aren't playing their best. There's guys making mistakes. The refs, again, I think were terrible. Not nearly as bad as a 49er game, but just bad. Um, injuries cropping up, and uh, we got to talk about that. It sounds like at this point it's an AC uh, joint sprain. Getting all kinds of conflicting reports here. I had somebody post uh, the, uh, I don't know, some Twitter doctor or whatever, saying that he potentially could be playing next week. Maximum is six weeks. So he's not out for the year. Uh, worst case scenario, six weeks. Best case scenario, he doesn't practice, but he'll he'll be able to make it back this week. I would guess we can say probably not this week. Um, maybe it's one of those after the bye kind of situations. I don't know. Clearly don't want to push back Jair if you don't have to, but we'll worry about that some other time, I guess. But hopefully he's doing fine. Savage also got hurt. Again, I didn't know exactly what happened with that. But uh, Goose had mentioned that he he's pretty sure anyways that Savage did come back in the game, so he must be doing okay, so that's good. But the injury bug is definitely, it's uh, it's hovering and it's swarming a little bit, and I don't like it. But again, it was just it was just a great win, and, and despite anything that you can complain about, and believe me, the complainers are coming out in full force, I had, uh, it's funny, I've got one guy on Twitter, one guy on Facebook, and one guy on YouTube, and I swear they're the same guy, but whatever, that just they're just Mr. Negative. I have three different Mr. Negatives on each different platform, and they just come swarming about how that wasn't good enough. And um, the guy on Twitter wanted to highlight how bad Stokes was. It was literally like 30 seconds before the pick. We were up by 17 points, just basically had the game won. And his only comment to me was that Stokes was getting burned. It's like, (laughs) 
Okay, that's your one takeaway from this game. And I guarantee you all three of those guys had us losing this game. All three of them said we were going to lose this game. We win the game. Wasn't really close at any point, to be completely honest. I mean, once we took the lead. But, um, you know, whatever. Those kinds of people are always going to be that way. They're always going to be mad about everything. But um, at the end of the day, again, the reason that I like it, and I, I, it doesn't have, not every week has to be this way. <laughs> I'm coughing. <clears throat> there we go. <laughs> Fixed it. I'm not saying I want every week to go like this. It would be fine if you want to beat a team 40 to nothing like Buffalo has been doing. Fine with it. The point is, when you go up and have games like this come out on top, dig deep and find a way to win. They've done it back-to-back weeks because this is what you have to do to win in the playoffs. This, is the, this has been their Achilles heel come playoff time. So it's the regular season. It would be fine if we coast through a couple of these. Um, I would rather not have a heart attack at, you know, 42 from all the stress that they're giving us from the uh, 2021 season. But uh, you got to do what you got to do, I guess. Point is, though, again, this is what we need to have happen. So anyways, again, um, probably going to be a relatively short podcast. So I'm going to I want to rip through the stats now before we kind of um, do anything else. Aaron Rodgers, 20 of 36, 248 yards and two touchdowns. Aaron Rodgers was dominant at first, but if there was any one person that kind of just completely imploded, it was Aaron Rodgers. Um, I hate to be that dramatic because everything turned out fine, and I, and I think overall he had a great game, but there were some critical throws that, I mean, he had, instead of, well, he had Tunyon wide open for a touchdown, and that should have been intercepted. I mean, he was wide open, and he massively underthrew that. Um, there was a third down conversion that he missed. He missed Devontae, I want to say, like three times at least. Some of those that were pressure, but um, especially down the stretch, he was really he was really missing quite a bit, and it was getting kind of ugly because again, those are pretty critical throws. But again, I thought overall he still looked good. He, you know, the passes are crisp, the decision making is there. He looks confident in the pocket. By the way, pocket fantastic. But uh, AJ Dillon and Aaron Jones actually, I haven't even looked at the stats too much yet, aside from a couple. AJ Dillon and Aaron Jones split carries, fifteen each. Um, probably because of grinding at the end there. But Aaron Jones, 15 for 48. A.J. Dillon, 15 for 81. He actually averaged 5.4 yards per carry. Obviously, he had that big carry at the end or toward the end. But even without that, I mean, the impressive thing about A.J. Dillon is at the end of the game, his job was to burn the clock. The problem with that is you bring in your horse running back, you bring out your run-blocking tight ends, and um, you run the ball against a team that knows you're running the ball. They know you're running the ball, so they're going to bring everybody to stop you from running the ball. The great thing is, A.J. Dillon will carve out five yards when there's no five yards to be carved. Occasionally, the offensive line did a good job, and they got five that way. Sometimes they did nothing, and he pushed for five. He does such a good job of that. Aaron Jones, I thought he had a fine day. I thought he did a decent enough job. I think there was another one that that he missed. or maybe, No, Aaron Jones dropped that touchdown. Did he miss Aaron at some point? But uh, yeah, he, he dropped the touchdown. He had the fumble. Uh, definitely not his best day, but I thought he did okay. I thought he did fine. And um, yeah, he had three receptions for 51 yards on top of that. So clearly a contributor. But the fumble, I mean, it happens, but that one obviously hurts a little bit. Speaking of receiving, um, Devontae did have the most receptions, but Randall Cobb actually led in receiving yards, which is crazy. Five receptions, 69 yards, and two touchdowns on six targets. Randall Cobb absolutely exploded. I had somebody ask me if I thought that this was going to be a regular thing. These particular stats, not necessarily. I mean, 69 yards, yes, but uh, two touchdowns, probably not. The The thing with Randall Cobb, 
uh, that, that I was kind of saying earlier that the the hindrances. Um, number one, Randall Cobb is maybe not necessarily the same Randall Cobb, but on top of that, there's the old Rogers to Cobb connection that needs to kind of be rekindled. There is the Randall Cobb learning the offensive system thing. There's also Matt LaFleur figuring out how best to use Randall Cobb and get him involved in the offense. And once you see it start to click like this and you see Rogers and Cobb look back in sync, LaFleur is using Cobb in a way that is obviously very beneficial to Cobb. Um, Randall Cobb seems to know what he's doing out there. There isn't much of a reason to expect regression. Again, not to expect this good of a day every day, but all those obstacles appear to be gone now. We know what to do with them. We got all this. And and this is a this is a pretty big day. And um, you know you know Aaron Rodgers wants it bad. And so I ex- I do expect to see more of this. Again, maybe not necessarily two touchdowns, but some clutch catches, um, converting third downs. Again, the fact that he nearly outpaced Devontae in receptions. It was a a slow day for Devontae, partially because of bad throws, but even so, um, that is an impressive feat. Devontae Adams, six receptions, 64 yards on 11 targets. Aaron Jones, three for 51, as I said. Alan Lazard had two for 33. A.J. Dillon had one for 16. Tunyon, two for eight. Tunyon is uh, real slow out of the gate. Mercedes, one for seven. Equinemius um, didn't do much. Didn't do much. I think he's... (laughs) Every time I see Equinemius, it's one target, zero receptions. He had that one that uh, should have been caught, but it just slipped out of his hands for some reason. Um, as far as fumbles, Aaron Jones had the one that he lost, and then we had, obviously, Kingsley Kiki coming up with that big fumble. Kingsley had a great day also. We'll get specifically into the roster probably in the second half, kind of just going guy by guy, but uh, Kingsley had a great day. Kenny Clark recovered that fumble. Stokes had a rough day but comes up with an interception and two pass deflections. Um, Devondre had a pass deflection, Kingsley Kiki had a pass deflection, and then as far as the defense, Eric Stokes led the team with eight tackles. I had somebody who was mad at me for saying that Eric Stokes kind of, um, didn't have a great day, and he's like, oh, excuse me, he had eight tackles, a pick, and two pass deflections. It's like, well, yeah, when they throw at you a hundred times, you're going to have a lot, going to have a lot of tackles. It wasn't a good day, but, um, again, that just, that, that comes right back to the grit thing. Eric Stokes hung in there. He hung in there. He stood strong. He kept battling back, and despite kind of, you know, having a little bit of a rough day, he has the game-clinching interception. You know what I mean? I mean, that's that's huge. That's exactly what you want. Again, it's not going to be perfect. It's not always going to be great. Not everybody's going to be having the best day in the world, but hang in there and wait for your opportunity. It's coming. Just because you had a bad day doesn't mean you bury your head in your hands. The next play is an opportunity for that pick. The next play is the opportunity for that sack or that touchdown or that big play that's going to blow this thing open and save the day. You're not a bad football player. You've had a couple bad plays. Hang in there. Have a couple better plays. You don't have to wait till next week to have a good day. Start now. Just restart it. Start now. And he did. He closed it. And that's all anybody's going to remember, and that's awesome. Aside from the super negative people, Rashawn Gary with a sack and a tackle for a loss. Somebody posted his stats because Rashawn Gary was trending. I think I got rid of it, though, unfortunately. Ah, I just saw it, and then it clicked away. Um, It was a good day. It was a good day. Uh, that was a fantastic sack by the way (laughs) he goes through the tackle which is his his favorite thing to do just push right into his chest push the tackle straight back into the quarterback but he's like this guy won't get out of my way so he jumps over the tackle grabs both of them and says you're both coming with me that guy is just he's got so much power it's ridiculous Oren Burks with one tackle for a loss Kenny Clark with a tackle for a loss Kingsley Kiki with a sack which was the strip sack which we recovered Mason, two for two, 29 yards. I told you guys 
we were going to have a field goal blocked or an extra point blocked at some point, and it happened, and it almost happened the very next field goal attempt. That has to be fixed. I don't know what the problem is. I don't know what we're doing over there, but it's it's like 60 70% of the time when we're trying to kick a field goal or an extra point, somebody's flying right off that edge every single time. we got to fix that. Corey Bajorquez, I mean, geez, that guy is looking like an absolute ace. He punted out of his our own end zone, kicked it to you know their 40-yard line or so. I think that they said it was like a 57-yarder. We'll get some stats on that tomorrow um, when PFF comes through. But he also booted the one right down. I want to say it was like inside the five. I think it might have bounced outside, but that's where it landed. We haven't seen a punt like that in a while. Average 46 yards. His longest, oh, it says right here, his longest was 57. Which, I mean, you know, I mean, there's guys kicking 70 yards, so it's not like we should crown the guy king of the universe for 57 yards. But that's that's fantastic when you're backed up like that. Uh, Kylan Hill, two returns, 18 and a half yards. 21 yards was his longest. Aaron Jones had one, which is weird, but one for 10 yards. And then Amari had one return. It says uh, for zero yards. Is that right? I thought he had some yards. Oh, did it get called back? I think there was a penalty on that or something. I don't know. Looking at the Pittsburgh Steelers stats, Ben was 26 of 40, 232 yards, a touchdown and a pick. That was about the worst quarterback performance I think I've seen in forever. And I don't want too many Packer fans to get too down on that. Um, you know, yeah, butts or whatever. You've, oh, if Ben would have thrown some better... Pa- Listen, we came into this saying the reason we're going to win this game is because the offense is so bad, right? So it doesn't make any sense to say we're going to win because the offense is bad. The offense is bad, they lose, and then we go, yeah, but I mean, okay, but we would have lost if it were... That's, that's baked in. We already established that. We already know. Like, yeah, I understand if this was a better football team, we may have lost, That, but that's not who we played. Right, well, yeah, if you'd have played like the 96 Packers, you would have lost. Well, yeah, probably. Reggie White probably would have wrecked our world. I get that. Not sure how that's relevant, but okay. <laughs> you know? Yeah, he's bad. That's the point. That's why we're better than the Steelers, because of the players. That's that's exactly what we're talking about. That's what we're trying to establish is the best team so we can hand him a trophy at the end of the year, and it's not the Steelers. Najee Harris, uh, 15 carries, 62 yards, a touchdown, 4.1 average. Um Somebody mentioned in the stream about how he was the, for example, last year's Packers, he would have just absolutely annihilated us. And I think there's some truth to that. Um, We haven't really seen, and and I'm probably just misremembering a couple, but we haven't really seen just this absolutely dominant running back performance in which guys are just getting like 15, 20 yard chunks. And, um, you know, I mean, he, he got, he got his. And I was a little disappointed with the tackling, and I understand, well, Najee Harris is a beast, that's what happens. It wasn't just Najee, though. It was it was the wide receivers on these screens and everything else. The tackling was real bad. It looked like it was real slippery, which is probably part of the problem, but um, ultimately, I mean, if, if if he doesn't drag our guys for two yards after every contact, he, does, he doesn't get anything. And 15 carries for 62 yards is not that impressive. It's just 4.1 average. It's just an average performance by a running back. And so while we don't need to roll out the red carpet for the Packers defense for 15 carries, 62 yards, 4.1 average, it certainly doesn't point to a defense that can't stop the run to save their life. Uh, Benny Snell, one carry for no yards. Uh, Deontay Johnson, that was the guy that was picking on uh, Stokes most of the game. Nine receptions, 92 yards, and a touchdown on 13 targets. James Washington, 469. Najee, 6 for 29. Juju, 2 for 11. Fryermuth, 1 for 11. Zach Gentry, 1 for 10. Uh, Ebron, 2 for 8. Ray Ray McLeod, 1 for 2. So throwing all over the yard, obviously, for 232 yards, because that's what Ben threw for. 
Fumbles, he had the Ben Roethlisberger fumble, one fumble, one loss. Uh, Joe Hayden, Joe Schobert, Isaiah Loudermilk with pass deflections, et cetera, et cetera. It's not all that important beyond that. But that's that's what our defense held them to. Um, the passing, again, it was it was up there a little bit. And I'm struggling to remember if I talked about this in the stream or on the podcast, but uh, that touchdown to Jair should have never been a thing. And it, it drives me nuts that the announcers are like, well, it wasn't much of a push. No, no, I, I get that. It, it really wasn't much of a push. I fully acknowledge that, Tony. I get that. See, but the problem is, I'm, I'm, I would put $100 right now on the table. If he doesn't push off, that's a pick. Jair Alexander was so tight in coverage that he started being able to turn around, get his head turned around, and started tracking the ball. He turned into a wide receiver. And that little bit of a push, you know, that part where he extended his arm and then Jair goes from being in position to get an interception to suddenly being a year, a yard behind to where he can't quite even reach the ball anymore, the difference was that push-off. And I don't understand how, as a referee, you can stand there and watch a cornerback and say, that dude's about to get a pick, see the extended arm, see the extension and the push-off, then see the separation and the catch and the touchdown, and then see the cornerback go, dude, he pushed me, he pushed me, and go, eh, probably not. I don't get it. And we can complain about a lot of different penalties, but that that annoys me. Um, and again, that that you could, in my mind, wipe that away. And we can say, well, Jair shouldn't let him do that. That's fine. And, and again, maybe that is part of the problem is that he turned his head around and started going for the ball, which gave him an opportunity to push him. Whereas otherwise, what does Jair do? He does the hand fighting. You know, you try to put your hand on me, I'm going to swat it down, and I'm going to use that as a way to kind of pull you back, and then I'll swat the ball away, whatever. But again, it was such a bad throw to a, a, an elite corner. He's like, dude, I got this pick all day. I'm getting this one. So, you know, maybe you can put it on Jair. Don't get so greedy. You shouldn't be getting picks. You should just, you know... Wow, it's stupid. Refs should just do their job. How about that? Looking at the insights, because these are always fun. Randall Cobb had two plus receiving touchdowns in a game for the first time since week three of 2015. He had two touchdowns 197 days ago. Oh, <laughs> stupid. I was like, wait a minute. 2,197 days ago. I thought it was two touchdowns, comma, 197 days ago. No, 2,197 days ago since the last time he had two touchdowns. That's pretty wild. Uh, don't really need to see the quarterback comparison. Thank you. Trending the wrong way for Ben Roethlisberger. Ben Roethlisberger has lost six of his last eight starts after starting 11 and 0 in 2020. Uh, I don't really care about these change, uh, chasing history. Aaron Rodgers. Aaron Rodgers has tied hall of famer, Dan Marino, 420 for the six most passing touchdowns in NFL history. So he will officially take that assuming he doesn't leave the league soon. Randall Cobb's score in the third quarter was his 41st career receiving touchdown from Aaron Rodgers, which is tied for third most by any of Rodgers' targets. Wish they would tell us how far away he is. It'd be, be kind of cool if he came back and started breaking records. Mason Crosby has made 24 straight field goals dating back to 2019. Crosby, 2020, was the first kicker in Green Bay history with zero missed field goals in a season. That's kind of crazy. Aaron Rodgers has one-plus passing touchdown, plus one-plus rushing touchdown for the 28th time in his career. Only Cam Newton with 42 and Hall of Famer Steve Young, 31, have more such games in the Super Bowl era. That's that's pretty impressive for a guy that's really not known for that, although he does, does do that quite a bit. Anyways, uh, we're going to take a break here. We'll come back and, again, kind of just rip through the roster, give some kudos, and then we'll get out of here. So um, we do have a winner for the Josiah DeGuara thing. I don't remember the name, and the, he threw it in the comments section, and now it's gone. So I'm sorry I can't announce it. Uh, I'll reach out on Instagram or have uh, 
Jacob reached out on Instagram. Can't get mad at me. I said it in the stream. Should have been watching. It is what it is. But uh, we'll, we'll get you that jersey. If you don't hear from us, you probably didn't win. So sorry. Hopefully we got more of them coming too. Uh, Patreon.com. Lots and lots of thank yous. I had several people on that stream donating. Probably six, seven, eight, nine people uh, donated on the live stream. Really appreciate that. But thank you very much to Martin uh, Dubeck for uh, jumping in on Patreon. I really do appreciate that. Also had Matt hit me up on uh, Venmo, and uh, Eric Anderson hit me up on uh, Buy Me a Coffee, coffee K- KO-FI, which is another thing. It's on the, if you check the show notes, you'll see all these different things in there or whatever, even crypto or whatnot. There's all different ways, and I very rarely utilize some of them, but uh, they're options. And I just appreciate everybody and all the support. It's uh, fantastic. Thank you again, Martin, for jumping in on Patreon, patreon.com forward slash back underscore daddy. We'll take a break. We'll be right back. Hey, U.S. Cellular customers, I've got good news, so don't hit skip forward just yet. I'm talking about their special customer event, Us Days. What's Us Days? It means exclusive offers just for their customers, just to say thanks, like up to $1,200 to upgrade to any new phone. No, I didn't just misread that. That's up to $1,200 off. They must really like you. Us Days at U.S. Cellular, exclusive offers just for you, just to say thanks. Right now, U.S. Cellular customers get up to $1,200 to upgrade to any new phone. Terms apply. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, price line. All right, why don't we start off with some PFF observations? First of all, they do have some snap counts up, so we'll look at that. Um, in terms of snap counts, Devontae Adams 63, then Lazard 57, Randall Cobb only 33. He literally had half as many opportunities as Devontae. And he had more yards and one less reception. That's that's pretty incredible. Equinemius 11, Amari 7. Amari, by the way, only ran one route. Seven times he was on the field, one time he ran a route. Uh, as far as the tight ends, Tunyon 56, Mercedes 35, Josiah 24. Running backs, Aaron Jones 45, AJ Dillon 29. This is out of a total of 72. But as far as their uh, observations here, uh, add Randall Cobb in deeper leagues. Cobb's role in the Packers' offense was very limited the first three weeks, but an opportunity opened after MVS landed on IR, keeping him out for at least two more games. Cobb gained a third receiver role in three receiver sets. He led the team in receiving yards and hauled in both of his team's passing touchdowns. He should continue to see significant routes over the two weeks, uh, over these two weeks, and there's an opportunity for him to earn a bigger role for the rest of the season. Uh, they're kind of down on Dylan, but it's kind of a nothing comment. Basically saying don't buy too much into the fact that he had more yards. Aaron Jones is still going to be the main guy, which I think we already know that. It's more of a fantasy thing. In fact, this is seemingly a fantasy. Actually, you know what? That's what it is, and that's not what I was looking for. But it's still insights, I guess. Here we go. This is the one I was looking for. Green Bay Packers utilized a team effort on the ground on an old-school quarterback-wide receiver connection to take down the Pittsburgh Steelers 27-14 in Week 4. The Packers rushed for over 130 yards as a team, and Aaron Rodgers tossed two touchdown passes to Randall Cobb, helping Green Bay advance to 3-1 on the season. The Steelers, meanwhile, fell to 1-3. and 
Aaron Rodgers completed 55% of his, compla- of his passes in a display that didn't feature his usual precision. Again, he did kind of falter there. It says, fortunately, Rodgers' rapport with Randall Cobb resulted in his 419th and 420th career touchdown passes. Rodgers tossed two big day, big time throws and made no turnover-worthy plays in the contest, which in and of itself is pretty impressive. He was very cautious with it, and kudos to uh, Tony Romo for that one little insight, which again, is still a bad throw, but situational awareness says if you're going to miss him, miss him wide. Don't dare give up a, a an interception. And I think he was just overly cautious. And considering all I did for the last fourth quarter was say, just don't turn it over. Just don't turn it over. That's the only, I don't care if you don't get points. I don't care what you do. Just don't turn the ball over. That's all I said. I can completely understand where Aaron Rodgers was with that. Uh, starting off with running backs, he said a week following a big day for Aaron Jones, A.J. Dillon broke out with an 80, 80 yards on 16 carries. Dillon forced four missed tackles and ran for five first downs, heavily participating in the team's 131-yard rushing performance. Uh, Devontae Adams caught four of his five targets for 83 yards and his four first downs inside the 25-yard line. It was Randall Cobb turning back time from the slot. It's so nice to have just a different change of pace kind of a guy. You know, because it's just it's just such a different thing. Devontae does a very, I mean, he can do everything, but to be able to have that second guy that has just a different dimension to him. Anyways, he grabbed five of his six targets for 69 yards and two scores, finishing the night with a pending, 80, uh, pending 88.6 receiving grade. Dang. So it's pending for the review, but as of right now, I believe they're talking about Randall Cobb, right? Randall Cobb with an 88.6. Did it, did, who? So let's go to PF uh, Patreon real quick. That might be the, the the highest grade on the team. There's a real good chance that 88 wins it. I don't know who would be higher. It could be someone on the offensive line, I guess. But I want to look at my uh, my articles here and see if anybody took Cobb. I'm sure somebody did. Now, it looks like one person took Cobb. It's not for sure, but it looks like Mr. Aaron Nelson got in on Cobby. So we'll, we'll have to keep an eye on that, see if maybe that's the winner. Um, and again, it's just pending. We'll see. At tight end, Robert Tunyon wasn't on the same wavelength as Rodgers, hauling in only two of his seven targets. Offensive line, the Green Bay offensive line allowed nine pressures, including six hurries and two sacks against an impactful Steelers front. The Packers did somewhat save face by paving room for the team's ground attack, although they were defeated on 51% of their run blocks. So again, they're going to get bad grades. I don't care. This was such a great effort by this team and by the, the offense, the offensive line coaches, the head coach, offensive coordinator, the whole team to be able to put together a game plan that involves the offense operating with this level of inf- of efficiency. You know, win, lose, or draw, I don't really care. We could run the ball, we could pass the ball, and Aaron Rodgers could sit in the pocket if he so chose. He sat in the pocket a ton in this game, and I'm quite honestly stunned by it. Did they lose a lot, and are they going to grade out poorly because of it? Sure, fine. But again, this this new mission that I'm on of you can lose ugly, but but or you can win ugly as long as you win. I don't really care. That's fine because grades just mean ugly. Sometimes you got to win ugly, and and in this case, I'm completely fine with it. Uh, defensive line: the Packers notched nine pressures as a team, with former first round selection Rashawn Gary leading the charge. He tallied three pressures, two hurries, and a sack. He finished the game with a 70.5 pass rush win rate. Wait a minute. Wait, what? I'm going to skip that because I don't think they, I don't think that's correct. In fact, I know that it's not. So maybe he just means pass rush grade. I don't know. Linebackers, Oren Burks had a tackle for a loss and four tackles overall in an up and down performance. He missed two tackles, but also made two stops. I'm surprised they highlighted Burks on that, but that's interesting. 
Secondary, they said Jair Alexander and Eric Stokes manned the boundary corner spots, and the duo was pretty underwhelming despite the Steelers' passing game being lackluster at best. Alexander surrendered the only Pittsburgh passing touchdown. Again, that was a nonsense touchdown, but whatever. And allowed three catches for 46 yards overall. Stokes gave up 10 catches and 82 yards for a first down and completion. Stokes, yes, he did struggle a bit. So there's that. Anyways, uh, just kind of running through this again, starting with the quarterback, I thought Aaron Rodgers, overall, I thought he had a great day, and I thought he still looked pretty pretty, um, pretty on point. I mean, th- there's there's just a difference, and I think we kind of understand the difference, and maybe I'm, I'm talking to some people and other, others, but I, I feel like we understand the difference between Aaron Rodgers just something's wrong with him, and he had a couple bad throws. And sometimes it's the same thing <laughs> in terms of what the stat sheet says. But this did not feel like a game where he was just like terrible. Like he, he was not in this game. There were a couple that just, that got away from him. Some of them were because of pressure. Some of them because of situational, you know, he just, it was a little bit too outside. Not that it makes it okay, but it's not to the point for me where it's like, you know, he almost blew this game or whatever the case. I thought he looked real on point. A lot of these passes look great. The decisions were great. Um, it wasn't quite as elite as we saw against the 49ers, but I thought he did fine. It'd be nice if he cleaned up a couple of those throws, but, um, I was more than happy with it. Uh, same with, again, Aaron Jones, A.J. Dillon. I thought they both did good. The fumble is kind of brutal, um, but some real nice stuff. Aaron Jones doing a good job when it's not there to bounce to the outside, go th- get those extra rushing yards. A.J. Dillon doing a great job. Just And again, like I said with A.J. Dillon, I think he's a guy that just takes some time to build things up. If he gets if he gets 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10 carries, I don't think he's going to do much. He had 15 carries in this game, and it wasn't until after a while he started getting going. You know what I mean? It takes him a little bit. It takes the feel of this thing to kind of get going. It's not just wearing down the defense. He's got to get a feel for this. And you notice the 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 burst and the, the decision-making and everything. And hopefully as the season goes on, he doesn't need his 15th carry or his 12th carry or whatever before that happens. Maybe it takes one or two before he kind of gets in gear. Because that's really the only difference between A.J. Dillon being um, a top running back and A.J. Dillon being essentially a decent backup. If it takes you to your 11th carry before you start to wake up, compared to it takes you maybe one carry, and then you're just that good the entire game, that's, that is a drastic difference. And I'm, I'm excited for him to continue to do that. Because he's still relatively young out there. He's still relatively new. Uh, Josiah DeGuara, I thought, kind of had a tough game. Um, I didn't see him do anything as a receiver and as a blocker. I thought he was kind of terrible. Um, granted, it's sort of unfair to put him against Watt and some of these guys like Hayward and some things that I saw. But, um, you know, if you're called on, you got to step up and do it. And I just I feel like every time I saw him, he was getting pushed around. Um, Tunyon has yet to do anything really this year. He comes up with maybe his one clutch catch. But all the hype and excitement about Tunyon being one of the premier tight ends in, in football, and he's he's had very little impact. Uh, Mercedes, likewise, I want to like the guy. I know he's mostly a blocker, but um, you know I, I I can't much criticize what the Packers say. They 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 swear up and down he's one of the more gifted blockers in in football history. But I I still I'm sure he does good more often than not. But the only time I really noticed him was when he couldn't jump up to catch a pass because he's old and not as athletic anymore. And when he's getting blown off the line and blowing up a a, a run play. Uh, offensive line as a whole, I can't speak to anybody individually because I didn't watch anybody individually. Special shout out to our tackles, especially Yash, but also Billy Turner for stepping up against some premier guys. But let's not forget Hayward is right now graded as the number one defensive tackle. And I think one of the greatest things that could happen, and we'll see how this tracks out, if they have if they go from having the number one 
pass rusher and the number one defensive tackle, and they're no longer the number ones because of the Green Bay Packers, because of two rookies and a bunch of backups, that would be a massive compliment. And again, I'm sure the grades aren't going to be great because technically they did lose to Cam Hayward and technically they did lose to, um, you know, Watt. But um, at the end of the day, they won. Aaron Rodgers stood standing. The run game did work. Maybe not every time. And and you know, even if it's 50% of the time, it seemed to be good enough for us. I, I, I'll give them a standing ovation. Kudos to our offensive line. I couldn't care any less. Again, it's, it's win ugly, especially for offensive and defensive linemen. Win ugly is fine. Uh, offensive line, again, or wide receivers are pretty much said all I had to say. Lazard does a great job doing the, the dirty work. Um, he's so unbelievably valuable just as a blocker and whatnot, even when he's not showing up as a receiver. You know, we might look at him and go, ah, he's not really a number two. Dude, he's, I think he's more valuable than MVS, even if he gets half the amount of snaps at receiver and half the amount of opportunities and targets and everything else. And I'm pretty excited about Amari also. I mentioned, uh, excuse me, I'm falling asleep in my chair. I mentioned that last week Amari was just used on jet sweeps, right? He just kind of runs back and forth. They didn't actually hand him the ball, but diversionary. This week they did that, and it, it seemed to work. I mean, you, you kind of get him shifting a little bit. The offensive line takes advantage of it. It's able to hook some of those linebackers who are kind of leaking to one side, get some good gains. But also we got him involved in the blocking a little bit, and he had a critical block. They had him doing a, a – and a, again, this is the beauty of the Matt LaFleur offense is that – they all, all these plays look the same, but you can do all different kinds of things. And what looked like what had been many times a handoff, right? Amari comes across the formation, they hand the ball off. It was a, um, essentially a fake jet sweep, fake handoff, play action, whatever, wide receiver screen. And Amari, who's coming across the formation, becomes a blocker. And he did a great job block. I mean, he's a big dude. You kind of expect that. But even for a rookie, um, you don't necessarily expect it to be that solid. He did a great job, bulldozed the guy straight out of the way for a real big gain. So that was great to see. They're continuing to expand his role, expand Randall Cobb's role. Um, it just gives us so much more versatility when we have all these different guys. Defensively, um, big, big, massive shout out to Kingsley Kiki if we start on the interior. Kenny, I thought, had another big day. Um, Saw him on, on occasion with a couple of good run defenses. Saw him several times blow up offensive linemen. There was one play in particular. I swear they were going to flag him for being offsides because <laughs> the second that ball was snapped, that center was pretty much in Ben's lap. But Kingsley Kiki coming up real big with two clutch plays. Again, I don't know what his grades are. I don't really care. Maybe he was trash the rest of the game, but uh, that that's a big man, and he came up real clutch with that strip sack and then later with a pass deflection, and those were critical plays. I mean, to be able to turn the ball over is huge, but then also that deflection, um, which I think was on a third down, but even if it wasn't, you know, anytime you can just erase a down, that's so massive. So uh, we need we need somebody desperately to step up, and we also need Kingsley to step up. We've heard a lot from our defensive line coach about how much he loves Kingsley Kiki, and this is coming from a guy who gives no compliments to anybody, but he is just heaping praise on how talented he is. We just need to see it on the field, and I think today we saw a little bit. Um, didn't see much from anybody else. Don't really know, though. It's one of those we'll rely on PFF when it comes across. Um, off the edge, uh, I thought Preston and, and Rashawn both did a good job. Rashawn got his sack. I saw he got you know he got the three pressures, but he was he was winning his reps all the time. Pittsburgh did a real good job of getting the ball out. It's one of those things. You watch how far out these guys are lined up. I swear they got to cover eight yards just to get to the quarterback. And on some of these throws, the ball comes out so quickly, even if there wasn't a tackle there, they couldn't have got there on time. So you, you can't necessarily get mad on, on on every time. 
Um, which is why true pass sets kind of make sense. That it's a different metric they use. Where I think if the ball comes out too quick, it doesn't count. But there are certain plays where you could look at it and say it should even count against. It was a, has a loss. I'm just fighting through these yawns. You're gonna have to just listen to it, I guess. Uh, Preston again. I don't. I don't know in particular, but he just seems to hold an edge like nobody else. He's having such a, a good year with that. He's just so stout. You know what I mean? He's just so strong, and he's, he fires off the edge and makes tackles and everything else. Very impressed with him. Devondre Campbell has been beyond dominant. Again, I, I can't speak to every one of his snaps, but every time I saw him, I was happy. He had the one pass deflection. I saw him on, on a day when the Packers all really struggled to tackle. I remember just complaining about it on my couch, like, come on, guys, please tackle better than this. You, you got to start. If you can't bring a guy down, you got to do a better job of swarming, which was starting to annoy me also, just watching defenders stand there and wait for wait for the guy to go down. Like, no, you need to go help him. But um, as I was talking about how the tackling hasn't been very good, he comes up and just smokes. I think it was the running back, but I don't remember. But he came flying up and just knocked him straight back. It's like, that is that is freaking how you do that. Um, the other guys, I'm not entirely sure. Saw a little bit of Oren Burks. Didn't necessarily like what I saw, but it sounds like PFF was more or less impressed, I guess. I don't know. They highlighted him. Uh, Jonathan Garvin's out there. I kind of, I, again, without actually seeing a ton, um, I really like what I saw from Chauncey and Garvin, I thought they did a good job holding the edge. I didn't see much for pressure, but um, I, I more or less the whole defensive line, I mean, it seemed like there was pressure most of the day. Again, the ball kept coming out so fast, it just it didn't quite have time to get there. But it's not one of those situations where they're just not getting home and he can hold the ball for 10 minutes. He's got to get that ball out because they're coming. I mean, these guys push a pocket like nothing else, and it was really good to see. So, I mean, there's, there's, it's not showing up on the stat sheet, but if you go back and watch, I mean, they were pushing the offensive line around like they weren't even there. Um, cornerbacks, again, I, I said what I said. I think Jair had a great day. Um, the one big gaffe that he had, I don't, I think was nonsense. I think it should have been a penalty and, and you can call it ticky tack if you want, but I mean, what's, it doesn't matter how much force he used. It, it accomplished its goal. It, it pushed him so that he could not be in play to, I mean, that is, it's pass interference. He interfered with that. It was, it was going to be intercepted and he pushed him so that he couldn't do it and so that he could be the only one that caught it. So I'm not going to be mad at him for giving up a touchdown. And then he obviously had that real clutch tackle, which actually gave him that injury, which is super unfortunate. But um, another, I mean, he's so good at that. I hope that this injury doesn't make him gun shy on those kinds of things, because that is one of one of the most endearing things <laughs> about him on this team. Um, again, Stokes had a bad day. There's no other way to put it. But I again, I love that he hung in there. He stuck with it. And at the end of the day, he's the one that iced the game. It's just a perfect way to end, an, I, again, another gritty game where the whole point is when the chips are down, you hang in there. Uh, as far as Savage and Amos, I don't really know. Somebody said they saw Savage flying all over the place. I saw Amos made a real good tackle at one point. Um, I also saw Amos standing around watching as somebody was struggling to tackle, and that infuriated me, um, just the lack of hustle on that play. But, you know, I, I, again, I don't really know how they played. I didn't really notice them, so I didn't see a ton of big plays given up because there really weren't any. But I also didn't see a lot of big plays from our safety, so I'm not really sure. Special teams, Mason was clutch, but, again, we gotta we got to tighten up that that kicking stuff because I said on this podcast just days ago, we're going to have a kick blocked, and we did. And we, we got bailed out by the refs. Easily could have been not called, but it was, and we got saved on that one because that was going the other, that was going the distance. It did go the distance. Uh, Bajorquez, just an absolute, I mean, that was that was about as perfect of a game as you can expect. Um, 57 yards kicking out of the end zone, which is 
I mean, it's, you know, there's guys kicking 70, but 57 is, is adequate for sure. But not only that, just, just the, the accuracy of his punts have been incredible. Um, having one hit right at the five, which I haven't seen that. I feel like I haven't seen that in years and actually bounced the other direction. So it didn't go into the end zone. If our guys would have been there, it wouldn't have bounced forward quite as far, but, um, he has been fantastic. Uh, the return game and the, the, the coverage units, I don't think have been all that great, but it is what it is. Um, the only final note I'll say is talk about grit, the, uh, Green Bay Packers fans at this game. Because to start off, I was furious because I, especially because this is like the big Packers Twitter meetup. And granted, we're talking about like 20 people in a stadium of tens of thousands. But it's like this, if, of all games, this is going to be a loud one. There's a lot of young, rowdy people showing up at this game. I'm telling you, did I say, I might have even, we talked about this maybe on the podcast. Again, I've, I've already said everything. But again, if somebody would have said Packernet podcast, I would have heard it. It was the most quiet I've ever heard that stadium. And that's why Matt LaFleur was so angry. But apparently Matt was out there. Again, I don't know if I said this, so I'm saying it twice if I didn't because I want to say it on the podcast. Uh, Apparently they were putting him on the old Jumbotron, and that's what got the crowd fired up. But for whatever reason, that definitely seemed to work. And the the thing that I know I said on the live stream that I think is a great idea, Matt LaFleur has other stuff to worry about. He shouldn't have to tell people to stand up and cheer. That's absurd. He is the head coach of the team. He needs to be paying attention to the team. He should not be begging our fans to stand up and cheer. However, there is a guy I think should be doing that. His name is David Bakhtiari, and I don't know the rules on having beers on the sideline, but that dude should be slamming beers and getting this crowd amped up like he does at Bucks games. Do you have any idea how loud that stadium would be if every single time on a third down, and they should do it, I mean, he's going to be hammered by halftime, but first down, second down, third down, they should have him on there at some point waving his, I mean, just do like the arm wave on first down and second down, like let's go, let's go, whatever, and on third and fourth down and stuff, slam a beer. And if he can't do beer, slam a Gatorade. It'll have the same effect. Do like the orange Gatorade. Some people think it's a beer. I mean, he could literally just turn You know how cool of a tradition that'd be? He could turn around and somebody in the audience would be like, here's an $8 beer, man. Just, it's an honor. And he can grab it and slam it on camera and scream to the fans, let's go. He's not doing anything. I'll tell you what, that would be almost as valuable as him playing left tackle, him on the sidelines, just getting this crowd roaring so loud that everybody's ears are bleeding. I'm, I'm, I do, I can't even express. I mean, Matt LaFleur just waving his hands in frustration got that, you could hear it. The, the, the absolute change in the volume from how this game started to how it ended. But anyways, again, the point is talk about grit. The fans came through in the end and they were allowed for the majority. I mean, again, it's frustrating how long it takes everybody to get loud. I mean, when they were in hurry up, it basically was quiet the whole time because it takes 10 minutes to get Packer fans out of their seat. But, um, when things slow down a little bit, it did get loud, and you could definitely hear it. But I, I really, uh, I like that David Bakhtiari idea. And if anybody listening has an ear of anybody in Green Bay, they need to be sticking a camera in, in his face. Just, just have a camera hooked directly to that jumbotron, and it's the Bach, the Bach cam. First down, he's just waving his hands. Let's go. Let's get loud. Second down, let's go. Come on, make some noise. Don't just sit there. Sorry, I know you just want to do it on third down, but you're stupid. Can't do that. Stand up. It's cold, anyways. God forbid you burn some calories. Come on now, let's go. Third down, boom. Slamming it. That's a good idea. Anyways, I got to go to bed. You folks have yourselves a fantastic day. I will talk to you tomorrow. Have yourselves a good one. Bye-bye.